Support for WRFA is brought to you in part by the United Ways of Chautauqua County. United Way is a nonprofit organization that mobilizes the community to help every person and family improve their lives. Donations to the United Way stay 100% locally in our community and get invested in more than 40 community-based programs. These programs help students achieve academic success, families to be self-sufficient and financially stable, and vulnerable households to get their basic and emergency needs met. The United Ways of Chautauqua County, proud supporters of community radio in Jamestown, New York. To learn more, visit uascc.org or call 716-483-1561. Chautauqua County government has been going through more changes as the year closes out, from department mergers to retirements of longtime legislators and staff. County Executive Wendell talks about all of those, while also giving his thoughts on the new scoping plan approved this week by the New York State Climate Action Council. We welcome Chautauqua County Executive P.J. Wendell to the WRFA studios for the final monthly interview of 2022. So good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So we're going to start with today with the most recent Chautauqua County Legislature meeting that brought some surprising news about the retirement of legislators Jay Gould and Paul Woodford. Right. You know, it's, um, you know, Jay has been there. Uh, it seems to be, we joke forever. Uh, I almost made a comment last night, you know, out in front of the courthouse. It said, uh, you know, the, the first courts were conducted here in the log cabin. And I was going to ask Jay if he was here when they, they had the log cabin. But uh, he's been here since 2000. And, and we talk about it with another retirement of this, just the institutional knowledge of what Jay has. And, you know, the best part is whenever we discuss something, Jay could go back and say, well, this is what was done and this is how it happened. And, and it wasn't always, you know, now we've had the supermajority for, for the last several years, but, you know, Jay grew, I should say grew up, but he, he uh, served in times where there was a one person difference between Republicans and Democrats. And it was sometimes a little bit more tumultuous, but uh, other times it was still, you know, just good government. So it was, it really is, you know, a lot of knowledge, institutional knowledge that, that uh, Jay, you know, takes with him. Paul, you know, has done a tremendous amount of, of service to Chautauqua County, but prior to that was with the city of Jamestown. So, um, you know, as, as Pierre has stated, uh, you know, the, the position of the legislature is, uh, you know, servant leaders. You know, that embodies both Paul and Jay. Uh, you know, I've gotten to know both of them, you know, very well. Uh, Paul, on a, on a personal note, I, his grandson was one of my athletes uh, in wrestling. So I've known Paul now since uh, about, yeah, about 2000 when I first came to Falconer. So uh, yeah, between he and Jay, a great deal of experience, uh, a lot of knowledge when it comes to government. Uh, so again, both sadly missed, but... Um, you know, happy for them that they're going to be enjoying their retirement and spending time with family and just uh, not having to worry about everything like they do now. Right. And and that they're not the only ones retiring. You gave a, a commendation to uh, County Attorney Stephen Adela last night, too. Yeah. You know, you look if, if, if you look at, you know, Steve and Jay together, 54 years of service to Chautauqua County. Uh, again, that institution, institutional tribal knowledge. Uh, I forget another other words they've used, but, you know, the interesting piece is when we talked about things with Steve, he said, well, you know, back in such and such a time, this is when they did it. And, you know, a lot, of, a lot of it came about now most recently with our redistricting. Um, because, again, you know, there potentially could be political posturing on either side as to what, you know, what maps you want to use. And, and Steve gave us a lot of background as to what happened in this year and then that. So it really was, 
you know, listening, it's kind of like opening an encyclopedia of, you know, what worked, what didn't work, what were the angles that people were trying to use uh, over different things, not just, you know, the redistricting in particular, but different projects or different things that took place throughout that time. So again, that, that knowledge, uh, you know, I don't say we'll be gone, but Steve will take a lot of that with him. We have a great replacement in Patrick Slago, some big shoes to fill, obviously. But um, Steve isn't going anywhere. Um, we're still going to keep him around. There's a couple of projects we have uh, right now. So, you know, how we um, how we keep him around, uh, you know, on a per diem basis, if you will, to make sure those projects are wrapped up. And it's just something that we don't, you know, something you don't want to pull him out and say, okay, we're done, you're, you're out. Uh, I joked with Steve, I said, I... I still sometimes think he's going to walk in the door that, you know, January 3rd or whatever, forgetting he didn't have to get up and come to work today. But uh, I wish him and Ann the best. You know, Steve has really been, a, again, another faithful, calm, very, very constant demeanor. I, I like the fact I've livened his, uh, his uh, personality up a little bit here since I've been in office because things are, some days are a little, some days are a little bit uh, more surprising than others. But I wish him all the best. And uh, he's not too far. I told him I'm, I'm not taking any of their numbers off speed dial. So be prepared. <laughs> right. And with uh, Steve, I mean, he's in a unique position where having served as county attorney also was the uh, legislature's attorney and still is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also because of just how a happenstance served as county executive, acting county executive twice, yeah, which yeah. I guess that's something everyone can say. No, he's the only one that can say it. There's eight of us. I said it last night. Eight men have held that position in county government. And Steve is the only one that's held it twice on two different occasions uh, in the departure, the early departure from Greg Edwards. And then again, when George Brella left to uh, become senator. So yeah, uh, very unique. And it, it's, a, it's a small club, you know, when you think about the people who have, uh, you know, governed this county, it's uh, uh, it's unique, but um uh, you know, it's uh, it's a good club to be part of. Yeah, and uh, I mean, not to get off topic, I was walking down the hallways last night uh, in the Jurassic office building looking at the, the portraits of past county executives and, and noting that there's a, a black band on Jack Lenzer's and realizing, yeah, that, that, that yeah, he, he when it, looking back at this year that, that he died and it was like how fortunate we were to have seen the... Uh, to get together in March of all the county executives, even though, I mean, uh, former county executive uh, Joe Girasi was there by Zoom. Yeah, you know, I, I can tell you, I'm just getting goosebumps talking about it. Um, when I, you never know where your life is going to end up. You know, and I've told people the story. So when I was in high school, um, qualified for the New York State Tournament, and uh, back in the old days, you know, you had to be, you had to win the section, which was a 64 team pool. Anyway. Um, different qualifying that back then, but uh, they invited myself, Tom Myers, and Terry Green uh, to the legislature meeting. And that night, we were all given awards and certificates, and I got one from Jack Lenzer. It was unique; is it was like a economy's changed because back then it's like a diploma, and it was you know very well, and, and it really it, it mirrored my high school diploma. Now we're a little bit different with on a you know. A parchment paper, but anyway, uh, jokingly. But I, I found this. And my mom found it in a in a book, a, a thing of keepsakes. And um, when we had the get together, um, I asked if I could have a picture with him. So he and I are both, you know, there. And he's been a huge supporter of mine. Jack would call me often and you know give me words of wisdom and different anecdotes and just a joke. And um, so many things about Jack was was a real real mentor for me in the last couple of years. But uh, yeah, big loss, but glad, you know, I, I opened that, that certificate, that, 
diploma kind of, and if uh, yeah, brought tears to his daughter's eyes. So we I, we have that picture, and we just you never knew. And it was I think it was less than a month later Jack had passed. So um, you know, a great deal for me, uh, a great honor to be you know to have him as a friend, and uh, you know to be part of that. But you know, unfortunately, uh, he's he he was older, and you know uh, Joe Girasi is you know getting up there in years as well. So you know we uh, you you know we. This time, especially the holiday season, it's hard, you know, for people who lost loved ones. But, you know, take the time to, you know, spend time with them. You never know what's, uh, when, when it's going to be your last holiday together. Right. I mean, that was a lot that happened at the <laughs> legislature meeting last night and just in accommodations and people being honored. But there, there was regular voting business, too, uh, including there was approval of two local laws that updated the management salary plan. And some of what was in that plan also involves what you're doing with the integration of the Department of Social Services with the Department of Mental Hygiene. Correct. Well, one of the, you know, <clears throat> there's a lot of a lot of misinformation. I don't say misinformation. I don't know how to say it to be politely, but the there was an article that was run in the paper that really wasn't accurate. And what is happening, and there's, there's two differences. In the management structure, we have grades. So grades one, I think, all the way up through grade 17 or 19. And those are ranges. So, for example, if you're a grade 17, your range is between X and Y dollar values. So if you're in the middle and we increase your range, we can increase your range 10 grades. Your salary doesn't change. Your salary stays. It just gives, it increases the potential for increases down, down the road. Yesterday, for example, in the last legislative meeting during the budget, they approved a 3% raise for all of our managers. Six of our managers, I believe, are not getting that 3% raise because they're capped out. One person got a 0.05%, one person got a 0.5%, 1%, 2%. So there were a number of people that were already capped out. What this change in management structure and grade range does is allows them to receive those raises of a 3% raise as we go across. The interesting piece is people have to realize this isn't something that I concocted myself or HR. This is a, a, a study that we had done and, and budgeted last year and under Gene, actually in early 2022, and Gene Riley, then County Health or Human Services Director, uh, undertook the study. The results came back in the transition of her departure and in the, in the hiring of Deb Mikowski. So what we're doing is we're looking at that recommendation from that third party, independent third party, and um, put that to, into implementation. The question that came from the union was, is they've asked for reallocation and grade upgrades. So they've asked to increase one or two or three grades based on different jobs. Now, across the board, my position has been we're, we're beginning a contract negotiation in 2023, so we will address those at that time. But the difference between management and CSEA is that a CSEA grade has a dollar value attached to it. A grade five has a range in management. A grade five in the union contract has a dollar value, whether it's $15 an hour. And grade six is $15.25. Grade seven is $16. That's the difference. So if a union person goes up three grades, that's an incremental increase immediately to their salary. In the management structure, it doesn't mean an increase. Now, to be completely open, and people were probably questions, there were six people that will immediately see an increase in their salary only because they are not making the minimum of their range. So for example, if I went from a grade you know, five to a grade eight, and the minimum for grade eight was X amount of dollars, and if I don't make that minimum, then we are bumping their minimum salary up to make it 
the really make it put them at the bottom of the of the range, if you will. So um, we have six individuals, and I think the total salary, the total cost to the to the budget is going to be about nine thousand nine hundred and sixty nine dollars. And some sense we've been talking about it, <laughs> but um, so yeah, it's really it's interesting. But it but it is um, you know, and we have created new positions. Um, one is chief medical officer that'll be um, held by Mike Falk, who's going to be taking over um, our public interim public health director and a title he'll have because he already has about five different responsibilities under him that, that it can only be held by a physician. Um, and last night, you know, the best part about this is, and with all respect to previous public health directors, you know, Mike is a doctor. So when Mike came last night and explained you know, the questions they had about the polio vaccine, of all things. But anyway, you know, the polio vaccine and really explained it. And it's coming, you know, it's, it's coming from the physician. This is a doctor who's giving his medical opinion. So brings it, um, again, nothing against any other person who's held the position. I know Dr. Burke held our, our public health position for several years. So it's that medical advice that's coming. It's not, you know, policy. It's not political from one side. You know, it's just, you know, Mike as a physician explaining why the need for the vaccine. So, yeah, we're doing some integration. Um, You know, we're we're focusing on those new departments. And really what it's doing is providing and going back to, uh, you know, my my commitment in the state of the county address is efficient, effective county government. And that's what we're doing. Carmelo Hernandez, our mental hygiene director, was at a couple of conferences and found models being used in Orange County and models being used in Shimon County, obviously one bigger, one smaller. And then one of the unique things they found in those two models were what they call pathways. And it's really a way to set up and increase um, more availability for services based on the pathways and connections we have. So um, a lot of excitement. Uh, the, the departments have worked together now since early August, uh, worked out some of the kinks, not to say there's not going to be bumps in the roads, but the organic conversations that have been taking place right now with the two departments prior to this integration has been phenomenal. Um, I'm going to say it's been embraced, but I'm sure somebody about to say, well, no, we're not, you know. But for the most part, it really is a, a good, um, you know, good integration. And the focus is the clients and residents of Chautauqua County. That's really what this this is all about. It has nothing to do with, you know, politics or somebody or posturing or, you know, I think somebody was posted some, well, you know, Christine Schuyler stood up to the county. Exec. It, it's not it at all. We were in agreement in all of our decisions going forward. And it wasn't a matter of, of anything along those lines. It's just in this restructuring, I felt the confidence of having a physician. And Mike's ability, uh, not to mention he's already, you know, a county physician as it is. So uh, it's increasing to Mike's uh, responsibility. But again, uh, really excited as to the opportunities, not only for the new Department of Mental Hygiene and Social Services, but also a new public health department and how they focus and move forward. Mm-hmm. So yourself and uh, Carmelo and Dr. Falk uh, met before the county legislature's committee meetings uh, last week. So do they have any questions or concerns that they raise about this integration? Not at all. In fact, uh, you know, Carmelo was instrumental in bringing this to my attention. Uh, you know, he's been there. Carmelo brings a unique, oper- a unique perspective uh, of a military background. So, um, you know, in the transition of former mental hygiene director to now to Carmelo, uh, he's changed the culture. He's changed, you know, a lot of the philosophies and beliefs to a very positive uh, culture. We've had, you know, several people uh, come back to county government that may have left. Uh, just a, a, a lot of positive energy coming. I've, I, I had somebody drive by a mental hygiene uh, picnic over the summer. It was a working day. They were doing uh, field tra- some in-service training. They were working with our sheriff's department, different 
activities and somebody drove by and they said it was just so neat to see everybody you know inclusion and you know t-shirts on different departments it's just it was such a different culture than what it had been at, at, at mental hygiene so excited that that same culture driven um, philosophy will now be embraced with uh, you know social services Mm-hmm. Has there been any concern raised by members from the public or other organizations about possibly like any, like when you're combining Department of Social Services with mental hygiene about stigma issues between those who, you know, maybe are coming for public assistance saying, well, this is where mental hygiene is or for people who need mental health services saying, well, I don't want to go where... I don't need I don't need public assistance. Well, you know that's a great question, but the problem is they're not together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right now we're we're talking integration. So uh, right down here in the city of Jamestown, our mental health clinic is on the fifth floor of City Hall, and the South County Office Building is right behind us, in two different buildings. You know, so even now the merger you know passed last night. That integration will be you know come effective immediately after I sign it today when I get back to the office. We're still not, so if you come to seek mental health services, you're not necessarily coming for social service and, and vice versa. Um, as we progress, you know, when we start to look at other facilities and how we're gonna model this, it's still not, there shouldn't be a stigma of going into the, the mental health clinic and, oh, to get my food stamps or to get public assistance. That, that won't be happening. It's just the leadership um, per se is going to be uh, a different leadership structure. And having said that, you know, the premise behind this is is that wraparound, if you will. And both Dr. Falk and Carmelo agreed to it. And John Anderson, I don't want to leave him out because John's the deputy director of social services now and is the interim director of social services until this integration is completed. But it's the same thing. John and Carmelo and Mike have all worked tirelessly to make sure this is working. And there have been some groups that have reached out and said, you know, we're concerned about this integration. And I said, the only concern you should have is if we see a decrease in a de- decline in services, and you should not see that. And I was very, very frank with with the group I was speaking to. I said, I don't know why you're worrying. You should not see a, a decrease. This is actually implemented to increase our services and and that wraparound. There are some hangups, if you will, with discussion of uh, based on HIPAA laws and different things like that. So we are looking at a universal release to allow you know families to sign that release. That way the departments can talk to one another on those areas where they can talk. And the idea is not leaving anyone behind and making sure that a person, you know, we have, for example, you know, we had family zero, you know, client, client zero, and that, that client and family was seeking services and social services and mental health. And what we did then was, you know, both both parties discussed things and a tremendous amount of success. But what happens is, is in that that family unit, you might have six different sub-departments working with that person, that individual. And if you're a person that may or may not be in or out of crisis or, you know, mental health diagnosis that may be impacting your day-to-day life, you're getting hammered from different angles. Well, my thing's the most important. No, I'm the most important. Well, no, my department's the most important. So a person is trying to, you know, get together a framework to where do I go first? You know, so what we focused on and and Carmelo and John and the team has focused on the foundations. You know, these three foundations or these pillars are what need to be established first. Yes, we need to get to this department over here, but that's step five. We're, We're at step one and two. And we need to make sure that those first two steps are established and we have a solid foundation of services, meeting the, uh, you know, the, the clinical times or meeting the counseling sessions or whatever we need to do, that has to be first, first and foremost. Then we can also pick up on these other things. And, and a lot of times what we did find is even among social services department, there were different 
parts of that subdivisions that didn't know what the others were doing. So a lot of just organic conversation has taken place, sharing information. Well, this is what I do. This is what I will. Hey, we can both share and both help. So inevitably, that's what this is for. You know, somebody had said, you know, it's just a matter of time until you reduce staff. That's, that's not it at all. I mean, we're looking right now as just embracing our clients and how can we serve them better. So, you know, maybe we can combine, you know, job duties, but not to, and, and of course, mental health, will tell you, it's not to reduce our, our, our employers, employees, but just to repurpose them and, you know, get them other functions. Because obviously the mental health you know, situation in Chautauqua County, the state and the country is growing, sometimes exponentially. So, um, you know, we can't walk away from that. And what this is doing is providing a better, more effective and efficient um, government. And, and the unique thing about this is is listening. And, and this is the, what I really embrace about my staff. You know, this is something that, that Carmelo had heard in my state of the county and took it upon himself to say, hey, this is what I feel is going to, you know, work toward your goals. So it's it's an amazing, uh, and, and many of our department heads do that, you know, on countless different areas. It's not just Carmelo, but, you know, other department heads have come to me, hey, I, I think we should look at this and look at this angle. And, look at, and it's like, yeah, and that's the best part of being in this role is having those leaders underneath you that are that understand your goal and your mission and wanted to start to implement that and bringing things back to the county. So really excited you know, about what we're doing in that department and uh, big things to come. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, just for, you know, to kind of recap for like, if I'm someone who's maybe looking at going to services, whether it's DSS or mental hygiene, I'm really not seeing so much. It's really what's changes. What happens? I would say not, I hate to use the term backroom, but the back office that's what's changing more so than what the front line is when I'm coming in for a service would see. 100%. This is, this is, and, and realistically, as this new integration takes place, there's about six people immediately affected with, a, with an immediate supervisor that it would be different. Other than that, you know, our boots on the ground, frontline people, there's no difference. They still have supervisors and, you know, where they are in the hierarchy, uh, nothing changes for them. It's still, and, and again, it just creates a, a, a different vibe in some cases and a, and a more efficient way of, of providing those services. Mm-hmm. I, and uh, now, does the legislature have to vote on anything itself? I know you have to get approval from New York State, probably just on you know the setup. But uh, is there anything that the legislature say? Oh, we have to vote this measure in? No, no, it's already done. They voted last night, um, and actually, the local law—it's actually a change to the administrative code. So I can make the change. We just keep the the legislature abreast of what's happening and, and give you know actually ask for their blessing, if you will. Not an official vote on it, but. The and the other side of it, the back side of this is uh, Office of Mental Health is our Office of Mental Hygiene OMH has already embraced it. Uh, you know, they're really social services isn't really the uh, doesn't have the overarching uh, control like public health does and, and mental hygiene. So uh, they're excited about it. But when we're looking at this new structure, uh, the states already say, "Wow, we can't wait to see." They're they're excited about it because it's already been modeled in other in other counties. Um, I've said it and I'll continue to say it, New York State is consistently inconsistent. You won't find the same model where public health, mental health, and social services across New York State. Every county has a different version of that. Some are similar, some are different. We originally were based on Cayuga County in 2011 when this was implemented. Cayuga County no longer has a health department. I believe they outsource that to a neighboring county. So what we modeled ours is already obsolete. So again, new direction, new vision, and really excited about our employees and how they've embraced it moving forward. 
So moving on to a different topic, uh, New York State Economic Development Council announced this week $4.75 million in Restore New York awards for businesses. Uh, these are all you know, mainly North County, but, you know, as I kind of say, economic development is all at Chautauqua County. So there's had to be some exciting news to get just before the holidays. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, I don't know, maybe my cold today. I just got a lot of chills. You know, you think about that, $4.7 million, $4.75 million. Um, so we have the Welch's project, which is going to have 46 um, mixed-use commercial and residential um, occupants there. You think about that, the birthplace of Welch's Foods was right there in Westfield, New York. So a great way to keep that building alive in its historic place in Westfield. Uh, we're looking at some of the upgrades and um, to Central Avenue in the village of, in the city of Dunkirk, uh, trying to bring back uh, you know a, a Broadway market, if you will, in downtown Dunkirk. So a lot of opportunity there uh, to you know occupy and, and uh, acquire uh, some of the housing, housing and the, the, the commercial structures that are down there, uh, and again bringing that to be more vibrant. One point two five million dollars to the White Inn, assistance in getting that back up to its position of grandeur it was in the past, and and the next one is a little over a million dollars for the Silver Creek, or a million dollars for the Silver Creek. Uh, it said it went to Silver Creek Schools, but it was actually the acquisition uh, and the assistance in creating uh, affordable senior housing in the old Silver Creek High School, which has been a, a blight and eyesore, if you will, for many of the residents in the village of Silver Creek. So uh, great economic uh, you know, information coming out. But that's not it. You know, there, A couple of days earlier, we also got information. Uh, the National Comedy Center received funding. The city, or village of Celeron and their park received funding. Um, there's a campground up in Sheridan that's receiving funding. So I think we're, if I'm not mistaken, I think some preliminary numbers, they said we're close to $3 million in those smaller projects from the REDC, now from Restore New York, another 4.75. So, you know, here you have nearly $7 million. And I could be wrong, maybe the, the first, the REDC numbers are a little bit lower. Either way, you're talking, you know, nearly $5 million in, in excess of $5 million of economic development here in Chautauqua County. And, and the best part about that is our teams that are working so hard, our planning and economic development department, Mike Geis, our IDA, are constantly working on projects, constantly working with developers, trying to get things going and really to invigorate economic boom here in Chautauqua County. And I guess I'd be remiss to say is, you know, the, the, the question is, how is this happening? You know, we have a, a, a Republican county executive who is oppositional to the governor. I said, and yet we still get things done. You know, that's the bit is whether our political philosophies are different, our economic and the desire to provide for Chautauqua County and increase our economic footprint is is what we both are striving for. Uh, so really excited that we were able to work together and bring these projects to Chautauqua County. Uh, we've had a, a great deal of success. Uh, you know, another thing I could you know briefly talk about that hasn't been. Um, you know, is, is phase two of our SOAR project. Uh, we have received, we did allocate um, ARPA funding to that, and we found that the funding that we needed for that project has already been met So with grants. So that money that we appropriated from ARPA will now be going back and we'll now be reconsidering projects that maybe we didn't fund the first time around and looking for ways to fund projects. So again, I'm really excited. The economic boom to Chautauqua County <clears throat> for these projects uh, in the last couple of weeks has been astronomical. Um, uh, maybe next time we can tell you exactly the dollar figure, but it's it's a pretty significant amount of money um, 
you know, and I'm really excited as to what what's been happening because it's not again it's 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 not the behind the scenes but it's really it's the the back office work that's going on with lobbyists in in Washington and lob, people that are lobbying for us you know and our, our rec, the economic council in western new york that myself and Mark Geiser are part of and the REDC but also looking at restore new york our state assemblyman state senator working for Chautauqua County bringing those funds back so again um, you know, we're working hard. I just found a, a clip that somebody brought to my attention. Um, you know, $65 million Governor Cuomo had appropriated for Hab Lakes. Uh, we're still going after that. I'm not sure where that $65 million went. I don't know of anybody that's got a Hab Lake project going, but uh, we are working with the Jefferson Project, Lake George, and Skinny Atlas Lake, and we do have a request into the governor uh, to fund that Jefferson Project research through 2026. So, we're pushing, uh, you know, the governor and her staff are well aware of my, my request for that. Um, but again, it's in concert with Chautauqua Institution and our, our you know, uh, different parties that are involved, stakeholders involved in Chautauqua Lake. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to skip over a topic. I'll come back to the, the, uh, the Climate Action Council. But since you brought up Chautauqua Lake, uh, earlier this month, the Chautauqua Lake Partnership shared more information about a proposed uh, Chautauqua Lake district. And so where, where does that ha- where does that stand now? Well, we're looking at different, different opportunities that might be um, provided to or presented to the legislature as to, um, you know, what we do with that. I, my concern with that is we're looking at a tiered uh, taxing district, if you will. And again, you know, the, the argument is always going to be the people that are furthest away from the lake have a hard time funding the lake. Um, I believe there's a, a method we can do, and, and I've talked to others on this, and I'm not rocking the boat. I still want to see, you know, we've, we spent money for Barton Little Judas to come up with different plans and strategies for us to come up with this lake district. But I think there's another one that's been talked about uh, that I firmly believe is is a, a usage fee. So, for example, you know, boats over 40 horsepower, you would pay X amount of dollars, you know, possibly for argument's sake, let's say $200 a month or $200 a year. So a season, you get that sticker and it's $200. You're going to put it on your boat and then you'll use the lake in and out. And the people that have a boat will be using it all the time. Now, under 40 horsepower or whether it's a sailboat or a you know, self-propelled rowboat, fishing boat, uh, there may be a different, we'd obviously have a, a lower cost. People that are coming in for the week, you know, you can pay $50, $100 a week, depending on what that fee structure would look like. And again, if you're caught, you know, the, the sheriff's department is out, we don't see you have the tag on the boat, then it's, you know, it's an X amount of dollar fine in excess of, of what the, the original permit would be or the sticker would be. And that money goes strictly to a lake fund. Doesn't go to overhead, doesn't go to executive directors. It goes to strictly lake maintenance fund. And my belief that I've looked at and encouraged by another local resident was giving the power and control of that purse to the five town supervisors that are elected by the people that border Chautauqua Lake. Uh, so it'd be the town of Chautauqua, Ellery, North Harmony, Busty, and Ellicott. Those five. And if you want to get deeper and say, well, we want more, then you can add the four mayors from the village of Celeron, Bemis Point, Mayville, and Lakewood. Now you have nine. You've got an odd number. You should not have any discrepancies in votings, et cetera. So that's just mine. And I don't want to muddy the water with my thoughts, but I know these, we've talked about this boat usage fee. I've talked to other members, uh, Bruce Erickson, uh, chairman of the Alliance. You know, he takes his boat to Lake George and other places, and you have to pay to put the boat on, on the, in the lake that year. Um, so it's, it's, I think it's a worthwhile endeavor. Let's say we do something and adopt $200 a year for those boats. Last year, 11,000 boats, or excuse me, 12,000 boats went through the CLA boat stewardship program where they were inspecting boats with, for weeds before they went in. Those are the ones who are launched at a, at a local ramp, 
okay? They get the boats that go in at a harbor, at a marina, where they're put in the water, they don't use a ramp. 12,000 boats times $200, my simple math, it's $2.4 million, possibly a year. Now we have that funding source continuing and we're not burdening the residents that live a mile from the lake or 500, you know, again, because the, the economic makeup of, of areas around Chautauqua Lake is very different. You know, the village of Lakewood, you've got housing in, you know, in different areas, high cost. In, in village of Bemis, same thing, high cost uh, living on the lake. And even in, you know, the town of Ellery, there's, there's an, an instrumental cost living on that lake. And the burden is, you know, while they live on the lake, they should pay for it. There's a lot of other people that use the lake too. So I think that lake usage fee is, is something practical, but we'll see. I know that's been talked about, but, you know, Bartlett and Judas has been doing a great job. But, you know, I've taken that stand. I think that's, uh, you know, again, I'll embrace, you know, whatever options we get and then look at it. It's the legislature that has to make the ultimate decision on where we want to go. Uh, but I think a continued funding stream for the lake is critical. We, we haven't seen that, and not from a lack of effort from our state officials, but we just have not seen that from the governor in any years. You know, they're going back to, you can even go back to, you know, Governor Kerry, I'm sure, didn't have a line item for Chautauqua County back in the you know, late 70s and 80s. So, again, I think this is, a, you know, what we're trying to do is create that continued funding stream. Because right now, the majority of funding for our projects are coming from our, our foundations here in Chautauqua County. And we need them to get back to their, their financial uh, obligations as, uh, to other places as well. So, I think it can be done. I'm very confident it could be done. But... It's somewhat a monumental lift to get everybody to agree, especially when it comes to the lake. There's a lot of passions and a lot of uh, emotion when it comes to that. Mm -hmm. And and one of the things, one of the uh, options that I know some groups have brought up in the past was, well, why, why why not establish like a whole county district fee? And you found out, can't do that. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of ideas out there. Um, but in New York State, we managed to uh, regulate ourselves into a corner sometimes. So uh, we'll take the good with the bad. But no matter what we do, it still has to have state approval, whether it's a usage, uh, a usage fee or that tax, if you however you want to put it on the boats, still has to get state approval. And, and you know, I know that our, our state representatives will champion that, uh, you know, going to Albany. But the sad part is, is it's going to be put to people that don't have no idea where Chautauqua Lake is or don't understand what's going on here, the economic impact of this lake and how we really need to focus on, on its, its uh, you know, back to a healthy state. But again, you know, we talked earlier about the phase two of the water, the sewer project. That's going to help us too. We're really, you know, moving around um, the lake. And, and on a personal note, I've made it my my kind of personal mission. Uh, and I actually said it to him face to face last week at the Jackson Center to Raleigh Kidder, who's always been champion in this sewer district. I said, Raleigh, I can't wait for the day that I can come to you and say we did it. It's finally complete. There's a small section now we, we have to work on, but really excited as to the progress that's been made. Uh, not only myself, but other executives as we've moved along you know, through this. But that that, that lake, um, and there's some questions we're going to be convening. I'm going to be convening a, uh, a collaborative uh, work session, if you will, trying to move forward with that. Great relationship now with uh, uh, Julia Barrett O'Neill from the DEC, our new Region 9 director, and she's really done her research. She's got a lot of background on what's been happening here. So uh, the DEC is you know, bringing their tools, we're bringing ours and, and history, and we're just getting everybody to work together. And it's, uh, it's not easy, but we're going to keep pushing through. So going back, we've been talking about the environment of the lake and the health of the lake. And so I guess this, this ties in. And we also, it ties into economic development too. So Busy week for New York State. We uh, learned that the New York State Climate Action Council has approved the scoping plan that supports the state's Climate Act. And so how do you see this 
affecting Chautauqua County and, and people here? I see it affecting Chautauqua County very negatively. And, and I will go on the record for that. I am not in favor of what we're seeing in this scoping plan. Am I a champion for the environment? Sure, I want to see us you know, reduce our carbon footprint. But you know, I asked people a couple of years ago, we were talking about the ozone layer. Well, what happened? Do we, do we fix it? Or you know, we took chlorofluorocarbons out of you know, aerosol sprays and we've done that. So where are we? I mean, I thought that was the big thing we were focused on was you know, the ozone layer. And if we, the ozone layer was eradicating on the two poles, then we would have you know, harmful radiation from the... We heard all the stories, but did we fix it? It's gone. We just don't hear it anymore. Now we're talking about our footprint you know, uh, the carbon footprint, if you will, going forward. So my concern right now is this is the initiative of the governor and her group. And I don't know if it's bipartisan or not. I haven't seen the makeup of the commission, but, you know, freedom of choice. You know, we, you hear people saying my body, my choice. Well, my life, my choice. So you're telling me that by 2050, I can't have a uh, 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 an internal combustion or gas burning car, then, and if I do have one, I'm going to be taxed for it. So the amount of miles I used, I'll be taxed for it. What, you're taxing somebody out of existence. I mean, if you look in, uh, you know, uh, you, you want to get people out of somebody, you, you, you know, you, you move them out, but it's really an essential. We're just, we're not going to make the cars available. And if you do have one, we're going to tax you so you can't drive it. Is that really a free and, and economic society? I mean, you're, you're, you're taking one side's view of everything. Can we reduce our footprints? Certainly. But if, can we look at, you know, cleaner burning cars? Can we look at compressed, you know, natural gas? Can we look at hydrogen cars? I mean, there's, there's so many opportunities out there that we're just going, oh, we're going to, by 2050, it's going to be, well, you know what? Who in the power in government right now is going to be here in 2050? And that could change monumentally back and forth. The concern we have right now is let's look at where we're facing this this weekend. A massive winter storm that can come to us with potential power outages to where National Grid has canceled time off for their, their employees that may have taken it off for the holiday. They'll be, all be back and required to work. And 120 crews have been stationed in Western New York in the event of that power outage. Guess what? If your home and everything you do is powered by electric and you're without it for four days, what do you do? I mean, at least right now, I know if I don't have power, I'm going to have heat in my home. I'll probably have hot water for my, my hot water heater that's natural gas and I'll be able to survive. But if we don't have that, where do we go? I mean, again, it's, I understand, you know, the, somebody's vision for this or the, the climate control, you know, the, the, the commission's vision, but are we really practical? You know, you want to take away natural gas, you know, furnaces, you know, natural gas furnace right now to replace, I think my, my, my information here is about ten to $20,000. Um, but you go to a home heating pump system, um, you're looking at, to the average cost to replace a furnace or a boiler, which a lot of people have, and if it's hot water baseboard, it's about ten thousand. Um, while heat pump systems that are electric can range from twenty-one thousand to forty thousand. So you're seeing a ten to thirty thousand dollar increase on replacement of that product. Not to mention, you know, it could cost upwards of a hundred thousand dollars for homeowner to upgrade their their appliances, their furnaces, and okay, New York State's going to change that, but. What's going on in China? What's going on in India? What's going on in these other countries? And where are we going to get the, the energy should renewable not be as, as robust as they, as they think? We always talk about going to Europe. Look what Europe's doing. Look what Europe's doing. Europe has already abandoned wind in places like Germany because they found out it wasn't effective to maintain their, so their energy needs. Right now, if we can't maintain our energy needs right now, if we did away with 
with the fossil fuel power plants right now, we would not be able to sustain our energy needs. And you wanna double or triple or quadruple that demand? Where are we gonna get the power? The interesting piece that came from the state when they talked to schools about, yeah, we need electric buses, electric buses. Okay, what do you do if Western New York, Chautauqua Lake, Falconer, Southwestern, Jamestown, they run out of power. Our buses don't have power. Use the diesel generator, you got one of those. Oh, go back to the fossil fuel to help. So again, is this a systematic way of, could we phase this in? And when they're talking, well, it is a phase in, 25 years, Goes by pretty fast, you know, when you think about it. So uh, my concern is we're not, we're taking away options for homeowners. It used to be what is the most economical way for you to provide heat for your house. It, you know, I knew back in the day, National Grid was the higher of the two uh, electric utilities. You know, in the city of Jamestown with a the BPU, their, their electric rates are low. So you would hear people in the city of Jamestown maybe having electric heat, uh, electric, electric baseboard, electric hot water, their dryers, washers, stoves were electric. But in those outside areas where, gas, where the, the energy prices are high, you go to natural gas and you go to other sources. I know heating oil, um, you know, for um, their furnaces. You know, what are you gonna do with, for uh, a good buddy of mine, Lent Lictus from Lictus Keystone? You're basically wiping them out of business because there's not gonna be any fuel for heating. There's not gonna be any need for diesel or gasoline. So what are you doing there? I mean, in, in the effort to increase or decrease our carbon footprint, you're taking a lot of people out of work. And that's the concern I have is it, you know, it's just limiting our choice. I, I, it's just unique that we hear of people, you know, we need choice, choice, you're taking away our choice. Well, this energy scope is taking away people's choice of how they want to heat or, or you know, uh, fuel their homes. The interesting thing about this, and I did talk at length, um, part of this 482 page book that came with this scoping plan was an energy reduction project. It will say project, but in there is a form. So let's say for example, and this is something that isn't known, it was brought to my attention from somebody, um, I'll keep them out of it, just I don't wanna kind of get them in trouble, but they shared it with me, is that right now, if this plan goes into effect, and if you don't sign that waiver, Let's say there's an energy reduction. Let's say we need more energy to go to New York City because it's 90 degrees and all the air conditioners are working. You could systematically reduce power to outlying areas to then feed it to other parts of the grid. Let's say city of Buffalo, for example, there's a great deal of energy need in Buffalo. Well, we're part of the same grid. Well, then they would just reduce the power that's going to Chautauqua County. So if I, I mean, I sleep with a CPAP and I can't sleep without that machine. So if my power is diminished, what if I can't use that machine? I'm not going to because the bigger city needs more power. If you don't sign that waiver, which many people don't know, the state can systematically reduce the amount of energy going to your home at night or those low non-peak hours. But not a lot of people know about that. So realistically, what are we looking at is really government control. And all we have to do is take a look at Texas a year or two ago. Texas is primarily electric. When the electric went out and it was a cold winter, they were really in a lot of trouble. We can't do that in Western New York. We just have a climate that does not allow us to rely on one form of power only to heat our homes, to cook our food, and you know to keep us safe. Uh, it's a big concern. And I think it's, it's one-sided and very, it's diabolical to say that, well, if you have your gas, we're gonna tax you so you don't dare use it. Really? Um, okay, we're, so at the end, do we know what this is gonna save? 
I mean, hypothetically, we think it's going to save something. And, and I've argued this with people too, and I, not to be on the soapbox. I'm all for the environment. I'm not saying pollute the environment. That's not what I'm saying. But if you look at our energy consumption today and how we're providing that energy and the, you know, what's coming out of the smokestacks, you see white smoke. You don't see that black, billowy, dirty, carbon-enhanced you know, smoke that we saw you know, at the turn of the century. So yes, we're using more power now for our devices, but at the same time, it's much cleaner than it ever was. And why aren't we encouraging people to create cleaner forms of energy? You know, if you look, you know, one of the comments that I spoke with people at Cummins, you know, electric powered, you know, uh, tractor trailers are down the road. It's not something we're looking at, they're looking at the next two to three years or the next five years. It's something that has to go down the road. But, but those end results are, unless we really reduce the size and weight of those batteries, you're going to diminish the amount of, of, um, of energy or the amount of material you can haul because let's say if you had another 20,000 pounds of battery to that vehicle and the gross vehicle weight cannot exceed 80,000 pounds, well, that's 20,000 pounds less cargo you can carry. Are people considering that? You know, great, we're going to have a green environment, but, and then what do we, you know, what do we do with the batteries? What do we do? They just, there's so many, there's so many things that I don't feel we've thought it through. They're going to say, oh, we, we, the scoping plan does that. No, it doesn't. It accounts for what you're going to take away but how are we going to backfill that? How are we going to backfill? And and again, you know, your what happens in your car? We have batteries, so that alternator spins and produces energy to be stored in your battery. Well, you don't have an alternator, and you're relying on batteries. What are you going to do for heat? And what are you going to do for your? There's different systems that are run on those batteries. So, how big does the battery have to be to supply all that? And, and I mean, there's people on the other side. They're going to argue, saying, "Oh, Wendell, you're wrong. You don't get it." But but. I, I think we just have to take our time with this. I think it's that the force of getting this is and a demand on, and really it's one, unless it's bipartisan, I don't know, maybe it is, but it just seems to be that, you know, Governor Cuomo, now Governor Hochul are so dead set on, and, you know, President Biden came in on this new green energy deal. But you know what? We need to look at it and really find out, you know, what are the, the costs and, and environmentalists and oppositions are going to say, it's a cleaner environment. But will it be? We, we just... We can't answer that. Hypothetically, we can say, yes, it will prevent, you know, degradation of our environment. But I think we're, it also, we owe it to ourselves to have the confidence that we can protect it going forward, knowing that this is our end goal. We can't pollute anymore. Let's find our biggest minds, find the brightest people, figure it out. I, I'd love to see if we can have a water burning car. I mean, why, why not? We don't know. I mean, there's, you know, my big thing now I, I've, I've really kind of started to read up on is micronuclear. Um, we don't have to have the big three mile islands, the big reactors, the big, you know, content, you know, products of, of natural, of radioactive waste. But I would challenge anybody that wants to come to Chautauqua County and create a micronuclear facility here. Reason being is because just down the road, you have the West Valley Demonstration Project. And that is a constant reminder of what not to do and how we can't make those mistakes when it comes to nuclear energy. So, uh, you know, we put small reactors on naval ships that continually power those ships for 25 years. Can we start to do that in small, more contained areas, where, whether it's a, a maybe a small nuclear plant here in Jamestown or one in Lakewood or Towns, but now we start to rely on micronuclear. That is, we, would, we can make it much safer. And you don't have, you, you think about what's happening when you look at Chernobyl or Three Mile Island or all these nuclear problems that we've had in Indian River. We've had those because there were such massive facilities. Well, what if we reduce the size of the facility, keep it centralized or actually localized, and put the containment systems 
much more contained and much safer. So I'm excited about what the future has for us. I just am concerned that this scope is kind of one-sided and it just, it frustrates me because you listen to people cry and say, we want choice, we want choice, but now they're not giving us choice going forward when it comes to powering our homes and our vehicles. And that's, to me, is disappointing. Hmm. When it comes to things that are happening statewide, uh, Chautauqua County is part of the New York Association of Counties, also known as NISAC, we can call for short. And you have a new role there. Yes, I do. I've been, uh, I've been appointed as a, a member of the board of directors at large. Um, it's a group that I started working with uh, when I first became a county executive in 2000. Um, you know, I remember Steve Aquario, the executive director, said, I, you, you kind of look like a deer in the headlights. And uh, I don't think you're a quiet person, but you haven't said two words. I just was taking it all in. But just really been embraced with um, the excitement and what NISAC provides, not only for Chautauqua County, but counties across New York State. Again, my, my, you know, my catchphrase, consistently inconsistent, you know, you have three different forms of government in Chautauqua, in New York State, and to be, uh, to have all three come together in providing for our New York State residents. Uh, I've been very lucky and, and very blessed to be part of that group, um, and now to be on the board of directors, uh, I'm excited because it, it uh, you know, again, it brings that opportunity of networking um, that we have here in, across the state, uh, but also you know, uh, NISAC is part of NACO, the National Association of Counties. So again, brings a broader scope of how we can start to you know move out and mobilize. Another group I'm on, uh, it's been kind of quiet. It's kind of a reemerging organization is County Executives of America. I'm on their board of directors as well, and that group. Uh, is really focusing and the networking that goes on there starts to bring different opportunities here. We're really all focusing on the you know bipartisan infrastructure bill. Uh, we hear words of you know hyper or uh, hyper competitive grants and hyper competitive this and um, you know when you hear that you get nervous, but it just provides opportunity for our county to have a seat at the table, one in making decisions, but also learning how to access you know different opportunities, grant opportunities, funding sources, etc. I've known the group really for the last couple of years, really excited about uh, you know the leadership at NISAC and just very honored to be part of that. You know, again, really only being there a little over two years, uh, I feel quite an honor that they've, they've chosen me to be part of their board. It was at this point in the interview that we noticed that County Executive Wendell's phone was ringing. One of the, one of the connections we have from, it's actually a, a gentleman I have from our uh, uh, County Executives of America, uh, an opportunity we have uh, scrutinizing uh, our prescription plans. So opportunities there. And again, you know, here, um, <clears throat> as I went, there's different, uh, different companies and agencies and, and individuals that look to provide, you know, services to the county. So excited for opportunities. And, and if, if something like this, we're looking, you know, we're looking at our, our prescription plan. If we find out we could gain a savings or get more rebates, great. And if we're not, well, geez, what a feather in our cap to say, hey, you're, you're doing it right. Because I know, Albany County, great friends with Dan McCoy there, county executive. You know, they are, they found some savings, astronomical savings in their prescription plan and their health care plan. Um, so if, you know, if we could, you know, I don't know what kind of money they're looking at, we'll, we'll take anything. You know, again, if it's if 50,000, then it's 50,000 more that the county didn't have. <coughs> and it just increases and it goes back to that efficient government that we talked about and, and finding ways to capture as much revenue and, and rebates as we can. So, uh, I'm excited for NISAC. I, I, you know, that, that group has just been uh, a lot of close personal friends, uh, a lot of great relationships I've made in the you know the last uh, now three years since I've been in office. So excited to be part of it for sure. 
Before we get to my final item, is there anything else you want to share that's happening in county government? Now, there's a lot of things going on. I'm really excited. This uh, We're going to get some more information out um, when it pertains to phase two of the sewer project. Uh, we needed you know, funding for that. We, we were able to get a lot of grant funding. Uh, the, the number we needed to move forward in the project, and that enables us to get um, money back into the ARPA project and then look at projects that we didn't fund the last time. Um, so I'm really excited about that. My, my goal with that, and I, I've said it yesterday, our, our financial committee met and our ARPA committee met, and my goal is to utilize that money to benefit as many taxpayers as we can, not just focused on, you know, a small sector, a small area. We've done some things and, you know, people would argue, well, you know, you, you put sewers in North Harmony. Yeah, but it's also providing a cleaner lake and the lake is an economic engine. So we're protecting the lake in the long run. So there's different things that are happening. Uh, we got a couple other projects that, you know, are in the oven, uh, as Mark Geis has always said with the idea. They're working feverishly trying to get some things going. We're really progressing. He's excited about some of our shovel-ready sites and where we are with that and opportunities for economic growth. Um, there's a couple other things that were, were just too too early to, to talk about, but a lot of exciting news uh, I'm hoping we can share in the next couple of months with Chautauqua County. But, you know, we're always working. We're always looking. Our, our crews are out there, you know, in all aspects, uh, you know, whether it's our financial departments, our, our, our department heads, our, our planning and economic development, everyone's looking at ways to improve county government. So I'm really excited, just very thankful for the men and women that work for us. And uh, just, you know, really, this time I want to thank them, um, you know, again, but just really can't say enough about their efforts. Mm-hmm. So this interview is going to air before and on Christmas Day. So what holiday or, or New Year's greens would you like to share before we close out? Well, I, you know, again, I just like to wish the warmest and safest of holidays to all of our residents, um, you know, people that are able to travel and get back home with family. I know I, uh, I got a good friend of mine who's coming up. You know, my daughter has been, uh, she's been away for quite a while. She's a, she's a student at the Florida State University and she was a student abroad. So we it's unique to spending a, a year without your daughter or your family, whether it's my daughter or it would have been my son, you know, without a child for Christmas is unique. And parents feel that. And But I think more so now I, I've listened most recently, uh, you know, uh, our longtime uh, clerk of the legislature, and she stayed on as a financial analyst, Kathy Tampio. Her husband, Mike, just passed away last Friday. Um, and just myriads of people, you know, some close personal friends that have lost family and loved ones in the last week or two. So, um you know, for those of us who are still here, you know, embrace that time, you know, cherish it. We don't know when our last Christmas is going to be, you know, for those that are going through loss right now, you know, my heart goes out to you all and my close personal friends. Uh, again, I, I, you know, you're, you're in my thoughts and prayers and really to anybody right now that's struggling, uh, you know, with loss in the county, but really to take time and embrace, uh, you know, embrace where we are. Um, you know, we still live in the best you know, in the best county, in the best state, in the best country in the world. I won't ever say that no matter, you know, what our political ideologies may be. Um, yeah, I was blessed to be in Washington uh, two weeks ago, and it's the people's house. And when you walk into the White House and you can still walk through and see, you know, where business and where history was made, um, I think is just exciting. Um, so again, whatever our differences may be, you know, we put it to rest where, um, you know, I just, it's really what I can say is, you know, just embrace our, our, our friendship and our kinship. And, um, you know, if there's ever a time, let's, you know, put everything aside for a day or this next couple of days and take time to reflect and spend time with family. And to our crews that are in public service, you know, the fire departments, police officers, sheriffs, deputies, state, state police, everybody who's in law enforcement and public service, EMS and fire, thank you for what you do. Um, 
worried as as such. You know, we're we're you know on the brink of this. You know, what do they call it? A I don't know something bomb. A, some typhoon bomb, whatever. Bomb of Genesis. Yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. It's yeah. just, I mean, it's all, all things are coming here and we're, we're hopefully that, you know, we can get through this unscathed. I, I hope it still holds true that when the, you know, everybody, you know, plans for this big massive event, it kind of peters out, doesn't come into as bad as it should be. But if it does, um, you know, I just like to thank my crews personally, our, our DPF director, you know, our DPF director and all of our employees. It'll probably be out plowing snow uh, this holiday season, not to mention our villages and towns and everyone else. So, yeah, I wish everyone the safest and happiest of holidays. And, you know, from my family to yours, uh, take time and enjoy. Right. County Executive Wendell, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to you as well. Thank you for being with us. Thanks so much, Julie. You too.